Rolling Stones magazine released an updated version of the top 500 albums of all time. A list like this was bound to spark controversy. So I'm here to give my opinion on how these albums stack up. I'm Gibbs, and welcome to the Rolling Review. What is up everybody, Gibbs here with number 406 on the Rolling Stones top 500 greatest albums of all time list. It's the Magnetic Fields with 69 love songs. Which at first I thought was a compilation album because this was a three disc and 69 track long album that totaled in just under three hours of music. And I thought that this was some kind of compilation or something that involved a group of love songs because I had not heard of the Magnetic Fields but this was their sixth studio album and they actually went on to release many more albums after this one so not having heard of them before I thought maybe this was some kind of grouping of love songs or something but it turns out this is 69 original tracks by the group the Magnetic Fields so let's get into it like I said this is the sixth studio album by the American indie pop band, The Magnetic Fields. It was released on September 7th of 1999, recorded April of 1999 at the Polar West, Mother West, Polar Mother, and Sonic studio. The genre of the album is indie pop, indie folk, synth pop, and chamber pop, though... I think that they touched on about every genre you could possibly touch on in this album. Obviously being 69 songs, there's a lot of room for different feels and different directions to go for the songs. And I feel like they did a good job touching on about every genre you could. There was some more country feeling songs that I guess you would get the folk feeling out of. And then there was more pop, and then there was even a little bit more of rock involved in it too. So many different genres touched on in this album. It was released on the Merge label, produced by Stephen Merritt. So where does one come up with the idea of taking on a 69-track long album? Well, there was some drinking involved, as Stephen Merritt was sitting in in a gay piano bar in Manhattan, New York, listening to a pianist there. And he decided that he ought to get into theater of music because he felt that he had an aptitude for it. He said, quote, I decided I'd write 100 love songs as a way of introducing myself to the world. Then I realized how long that would be, so I settled on 69. I'd have a theatrical review with four drag queens, and whoever the audience liked best at the end of the night would get paid. Stephen Merritt had also been reading a book by Charles Ives called 114 Songs, and he thought that he could do something like that and make it sound good. So he drew inspiration, decided on 69 songs. Band member Claudia Gonson also claimed that Merritt wrote most of the songs while hanging out in a lot of the bars in New York City. And even though the album is titled 69 Love Songs, these songs aren't really about love as much as they are 
about love songs. But all the songs do deal with love in one way or another, but often on this album it's in an ironic or offbeat fashion. One of the tracks, Yeah Oh Yeah, tells the story of a husband murdering his wife. So don't think that this is just 69 songs of I love you babe kind of stuff. This is kind of funny little off-the-cuff songs. And a lot of the songs feature lyrics exploring heterosexuality, homosexuality, and even bisexual relationships. So they really didn't... They left no stone unturned on this album. And they made it broad enough to where it could speak to a very diverse group of people. This album was released as a box set, three-volume box set. And to my surprise it was met with fairly positive reviews from critics, which kind of surprised me because I had a little different feelings, which we'll get into in a minute. But for the most part, a lot of critics really enjoyed this album. And this is actually an album that in 2012 was ranked at number 465 on the Rolling Stone list, and now has climbed all the way up to 406. So one of those very few instances that an album over time has actually went up the list. And as well as being placed on this list, NME placed it at 213 on their own list of greatest albums of all time. So it's getting an even higher ranking on that list. And this album was also included in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. So there we go, he scratched another one of those off the list. As far as charting when it was released, its peak position and only chart that it was listed as being on was the UK Albums chart, and it peaked at 170, so not really a high ranking on that one. And as far as sales go, I wasn't able to see that it had any certifications, and it said as of 2015, the three-volume box set had sold roughly 83,000 copies, and then each volume was also split up. Some people bought just one or two or three of the box set. And it was estimated that an additional 58000 for volume 1, 34000 for volume 2, and 29000 for volume 3 had been sold. Their work also went on to be covered by other artists and used in popular TV shows and movies. The Book of Love was covered by Peter Gabriel, and the cover was featured in Scrubs during the final episode. My Finale, the 2004 movie Shall We Dance, and South Park episode Tweak and Craig. Papa Was a Rodeo was covered by Kelly Hogan and the Pine Valley Cosmonauts on the 2000 Bloodshot Records album. Beneath the Country Underdog. My Only Friend was covered by Dead Sea and featured on the soundtrack for the 2005 film Winter Passing. And Long Forgotten Fairy Tale was covered by Avalon Emerson for DJ Kicks. So their work went on to inspire others to take a stab at covering it and has made their way to some popular TV shows and movies. 
When putting this album on the list, Rolling Stone had this to say about, quote, It started with the title, Stephen Merritt said, of 69 Love Songs, which he imagined in the Sinatra-era tradition of theme albums, a tour de force of pop mastery. His three-disc splurge had everything from lounge jazz to podunk country, peaking with sidelong standards like Papa Was a Rodeo, and the luckiest guy on the Lower East Side, God-level moment, The Death of Ferdinand de Saussure, which is titled after a French linguist and rhymes his name with Closure, Bulldozer, and classic Motown songwriting team Holland and Dozer, Holland looking it all to an unforgettable tune. End quote. As for me and what I thought about this album... First of all, 69 songs, I I know I talked about it a lot at the beginning of this episode, but that's just so many tracks, so I don't know whether to be impressed or annoyed by the fact that this album was 69 tracks long, and it also took me a minute to realize whether this was supposed to be funny or not, which obviously, after reading the history of it, you get that they were trying to be ironic and trying to be a little humorous on this album but like I said I hadn't heard of the magnetic fields before so I didn't know what really to expect if they were more of a serious band or if they leaned more on the comedy side of things so it took me a while to realize whether this was supposed to be a serious effort or not and I think it was a serious effort it was just kind of using humor but overall, I would say it's a serious album. I like the music in All My Little Words. I really like the use of banjo. And I don't know if I've brought this up before on a past album or not. But it feels like a comment I probably would have made. But a lot of times, banjo playing is very quick. And it's all about how fast the fingers move and filling the space with banjo and just keeping it chugging along. But I kind of liked because that's not how they use the banjo on this track. It just kind of had like a slower part that was more of an accent piece to the song and not supposed to be a focal point. And I really liked the use of the banjo on that track. Fido, Your Leash is Too Long was a funny song that I enjoyed and it had a cool dance beat to it so just starting to really get the different genres vibe kind of starting with this track as they touched on more of a dance beat with this one especially after coming out of something a little slower and with that banjo part like I had mentioned there was a track that I absolutely did not like on this album and it was love is like jazz and I got the joke that they were making because it just kind of had like an accordion and it was playing almost like a jazz accordion, I guess. It was basically how jazz is kind of free movement and not really scripted. And I get the, the joke that they were trying to make, but it was just too long and it came off as annoying after a while. And that was just a track that really hit me and 
I just couldn't wait for that track to be done with. I kept looking down like, come on. And a lot of these tracks are only two minutes or so long. There are a few longer ones. But I would say for the most part they hover right around two and a half to three minutes long. So it it wasn't an, an extremely long track, but it was enough to really annoy me. Something I really did notice on throughout most of this album is Stephen Merritt's incredible range when it comes to hitting the low notes. I had never really heard bass sang like that, and I mean, he could get real low down the basement, and that to me is impressive, even if I wasn't really enjoying the song too much, I was able to see the, or hear the talent involved with just his range. Now that being said, he only could hit those low notes, he didn't really get up into the higher registry too much but there's not a lot of artists out there that are bass singers and leads and he definitely is a true bass singer and was able to really get down low on a lot of those tracks and it was impressive so if i'm being real honest about this album by the time we get to what is volume three i'm kind of tuned out I'm kind of over this whole album. A lot of the tracks are starting to kind of blend together and sound the same to me. And it's just at the point that when are we going to be done with this album? Because it's just, it's too long. And I know I've brought it up a lot in this episode, the 69 tracks. But listening to almost three hours of something and then something that's not necessarily to be taken seriously it just kind of gets old and I noticed I was good volume one was fine volume two had the track I didn't really like but it was fine but like I said by the time I get to volume three I'm just I'm done I'm ready for it to be done with I'm ready to move on to the next album but there was still plenty left, and I did finish it. I listened to the whole thing. I always try to listen to the whole album so I can give you a good, honest review of the whole album. And one thing I noticed throughout this whole album is he had some kind of thing for dancing. And I guess that's maybe the more theatrical side that he said that he wanted to bring up because a lot of the songs talk about dancing and there's nothing wrong with that it was just something that I noticed he goes back to in a lot of the tracks we should be dancing or I'd rather be dancing or something along those lines that always brought it back to dancing so it was just kind of a recurring theme throughout the album that I noticed. Again, nothing bad about it. My last note on this album is just the great musicianship that you don't realize went into the album when you're just listening to it. But there are a lot of different instruments used and different parts going on. And it's impressive when you look and see what all they're playing, and that, I think, more than 
the album itself impressed me with this group. Stephen Merritt alone does vocals, Digitech vocalist, Roland harmonizer, vocoder, ukulele, baritone ukulele, classical guitar, acoustic electric, 12-string guitar, lap steel, fado guitar, electric guitar, bass, mandolin, auto harp, marxophone, euclid, tremola, violin uke, sitar, zither, violin, musical song, keyboards, synclover, piano, harmonium, wurlitzer, electric piano, organ, rhythm units, recorder, ocarina, penny whistle, maestro wind synthesizers, melodica, Paul Revere jug, Roomba box, xylophone, kalimbas, drum kit, rain stick, chimes, maracas, conga, bongos, triangle, bells, tambourine, washboards, steel drum, chicken shakers, finger cymbals, springs and slinky guitar, pipes, bamboo harp, spirit chaser, sleigh bells, finger snaps, thunder sheet, kabasa, cowbells, and finished it off with a gong. That's all one guy contributing on this album. And then you have someone like Sam Duvall in the band who just played cello and flute. Not not a big contribution there when you look at Steve Merritt, but Claudia Gonson, the female in the group that also did some of the lead vocals, she played a lot of things. She played pianos, drums, percussion, lead vocals, acoustic guitar. She did backing vocal duets. And did guitar on a lot of the tracks. John Woo played banjo, lead guitar, and mandolin, bass. And then there were additional musicians. But the main band themselves played a lot of different instruments. And I have to be honest, a lot of the ones that Steve Mayer was playing, I don't even know what they are. Or what kind of sound that they would make. But they were apparently on this album. And he knows how to play it. So that's pretty impressive. So now we get to where it fits on this list. And if you're a Magnetic Fields fan, you're probably going to be very upset with me. Because I feel like Rolling Stone went the complete wrong direction on this one. By moving it from 460-something up to 406. I feel like it probably should have been trailing off the list. Is it something interesting to listen to? The fact that it's 69 songs, yes. I get it, maybe being on the 1001 albums you must hear before you die, just because something releasing 69 songs is an impressive feat. But was this one of the greatest albums of all time? And me personally, I say no. A lot of the songs like I said weren't anything super special there were songs that I liked I liked Papa Was a Rodeo I think that was probably my favorite track on the whole album and there were a few others that I added to my personal collection out of this that I did enjoy but at the end of the day for me it's just not a super memorable album and I didn't think it was that good to warrant moving up to 406. 
So for that reason, I'm taking it down all the way to 494, which is just below Scissors album, but still ahead of Suicide Suicide because I don't know if I'll ever hate something. I shouldn't say hate. Hate's a very strong word, but I don't know if I'll ever dislike an album as much as I disliked Suicide Suicide. So this one beats that one out because at least I did enjoy some of the songs, but I just don't feel like it's a serious enough album to really take into consideration of being one of the greatest of all time. And I kind of feel like it gets bumped down that far because if something isn't spectacular but maybe only takes up half hour, 40 minutes of my time, I let more stuff slide. But I spent almost three hours listening to this album and it wasn't that great of an album. So therefore, not that I put in a lot of work listening to something, but the work put into listening to it, I didn't feel like I got the worth out of it back. So maybe had this been a shorter album, maybe had they only put volume one on the list, or volume two, or three, maybe if only one of those volumes actually makes the list, pick the best of the three volumes, and say, this is the best they have to offer, Maybe my opinion on this one changes, but the fact that I had to listen to all three volumes and I wasn't super blown away by anything other than the fact that they can play a lot of instruments, I don't know. I just feel like that's why it's moving back down to 494. Would love to know what you think about it. You can always let me know the rolling review at yahoo.com or the easiest way is by going over to Facebook, searching at the rolling review, liking the fan page, and you can see the updated version of the list there because there's going to be a lot of albums moving up after I put this one all the way back at 494, so they'll have new places for all the ones in front of it. So you'll want to check that out, give that a like, and you can drop comments there. Next time at 4.05, we have various artists with nuggets, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era. Until then, I'm Gibbs, this is The Rolling Review, stay safe, and be kind.